You're listening to Veeam Partner Perspectives with Eric Doherty. Hi, I'm Eric Doherty. I'm here with today with Andrew Burmender of Integra One. He is their cloud practice manager. And he and I have known each other for several years uh, beyond the relationship with Integra One. And uh, it's kind of funny because we were talking one day just on a, on a phone call with a few other people. And he and I got on a roll talking about some topics. And somebody said, that's interesting stuff. You might want to think about recording that. You know, people might be interested in what you have to say. And well, it comes as a shock to me because I never think anybody wants to hear what I have to say. But uh, we figured we'd give it a try and see what we could do. So, Andrew, thank you so much for joining me today. Eric, a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So we'll jump right into it here. You know, like I said, we've known each other for a few years. You've been doing cloud services for years now, probably yep. since the start of such a thing as the cloud. Yep. Um, so you've you've seen it all. You've lived it all at this point, but you've never lived anything like this past year to no. 15 months that we've been going through. Uh, no. Nobody has. No. And so what were you seeing as you were going through this uh, this change not only in just our personal everyday lives, but in the way the companies were doing business? What were the kind of things you were seeing out there? Yeah, it's interesting. So pre-pandemic and, and, and to date myself, I have I had grandparents that grew up during the Spanish flu and the Great Depression. So I heard a lot of stories about pandemics and the polio epidemic and all that stuff. But, um, you know, we had this conversation. There was an initiative when uh, you and I were working more broadly with Microsoft on the whole work from anywhere initiatives, right? And and we we saw sectors of business adopt it, right? Obviously, sales and and those. But you know, pre-pandemic, there was still definitely, I would say, this apprehension from a lot of businesses, right? That that oh no, we we still want people to come into the office. You know, we've made investments there, whatever, right? And obviously, when the pandemic hit, there wasn't that luxury, right? Folks weren't able yeah. to go into an office. They had to adapt to working from home, whether they liked it or not, frankly. And and as, as we discussed, it, it really gets down to how do you manage the workload regardless of where you're at? And, you know, we... we we know that obviously if you build widgets and you're in a factory, you have to be in a factory to build widgets. There's no way you're doing it out of your house unless you have some elaborate lab in your house or factory, yeah. right? Somebody has manufacturing gear in their basement. That's right, a right. You know, you might get those like custom fabricator kind of guys doing some of that or 3D printing, whatever. But aside from that, really what we're focused on are people who are what we call information workers, you know spend a large part of their day sitting in front of a computer or just sitting at a desk, either at a cube or an office or what have you, uh, or someone who is in some sort of role where they use a computer, but maybe are more transient, like a salesperson. Right. Uh -huh. uh, and, and really what we've, what we're seeing and what this whole evolution has gotten to now is companies are starting to realize, wow, you know, if we, you know, people are using their home internet and, you know, we're, we're spending maybe a couple hundred bucks in, you know, gear, headphones, speaker phones, IP phone, whatever. And they already had a laptop. It's really not a far stretch for saying, okay, as long as you meet X, Y, and Z criteria, why can't you work from your house? Right. Mm -hmm. And if, and you think about, you know, everybody used to come cramming into an office space and you would share what a single pipe to the internet 
or maybe double pipes if you were lucky enough, yeah. right? And now everybody has this distributed internet connectivity. It's like, well, that's great. You know, you start moving stuff to the cloud. You don't even have to backhaul to our office anymore. And companies are now looking at that and saying, wow, you know, changing to that operating expense, number one. Number two, corporate real estate's expensive, right? And and having office space and 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 we know that the trends before the pandemic were people were constantly milling down the size of cubicle space in office. So we know for a fact that they were trying to squeeze more density. Well, we know through the pandemic, that isn't always the safest thing from a health perspective. Um, yeah, so, I don't see that continuing as a, as a practice. So. Right. And then the shields are going to go up, right? The cubicle yep. walls are going to get higher again versus lower. And and this and that and the other thing with that. So more space, you know, better sanitation. So when companies think about like all the things they would have to do to retrofit post pandemic, they're like, you know what, why are we spending this money? I, you know, they could offer to give each employee $50 towards their internet every month and come out cheaper on the other end. Yeah. And, you know, when you talk about corporate real estate, insurance, you know, uh, janitorial services, vending and, you know, coffee makers and all those sorts of things, you know, on and on and on. They're starting to realize that, wow, this really, you know, for just people coming in to sit in an office really makes not a whole lot of sense. And with the technology now, 4K video, video conferencing, frankly, presence with Teams, it's easier to find somebody on Teams with Microsoft than it, it is, is in to the find office. them in an office because you can go <laughs> hide in a corner somewhere, right? Absolutely the truth. Um, you know, I, I used to joke that it was easier to go hide at the water cooler than it was to be online and hide. So, um, I, I just see that moving forward and there's certainly verticals and industries that are going to be a little more immune to this, but by and large companies are starting to see that. And, you know, whether you like the idea or not, I think cities are going to decompress. Right. Um, I think you're already starting you, to see that some in some. You're seeing it with New York and, and North Jersey in particular. I was just reading an article about, you know, the the top states that are losing population: Jersey, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio. Basically, a lot of your cold weather states, oddly enough. But you know, <laughs> up and down the East Coast, where there's a lot of population density. So I think you're going to start to see that sprawl out and. You know where 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 it seems like you're losing an opportunity. There's another one to be gained. So uh, I, I, you know, town centers have been a co- a popular trend in recent years. You know, yeah. you see that like outside the King of Prussia in the Philly area with the mall. Outside the the general mall area, there's town yeah. centers developed. I know the same concepts are pretty popular. Then when you get down toward DC as well. DC, yep. yep. Reston area and all those outlying DC suburbs. And I think you're just going to see more and more of that. And what better way to repurpose corporate parks if they need less office space than make those like little mini cities where there's population, but it's not so dense like a New York, like a Philadelphia or Baltimore or whatever. But everything um, you need for your life is in that general several block radius. Right. It's, which it's a, it's which a, it's is a why, of a city. and that's yeah. why the cities were starting to get back because the younger generations like that close knit neighborhood and, and you can still achieve both goals. So yeah. it's, it's interesting that technology may actually shift Oddly enough, which is kind of interesting, this whole idea of the infrastructure, right? What What yeah. is infrastructure? Because 
we may get back to more suburban sprawl again, whereas it's been retracting for a number of years. So, uh, but if you don't need to commute, you don't have the pollution and some of the other gridlock issues that so you have. Nice things. Yeah, there's, there's so many side benefits to that. And, and just even from both an employee and an employer benefit is seeing simple things like uh, nobody's late for work because of traffic anymore. Precisely. You know, it's not, you know, major accident on the interstate and half your office is empty until 10 o'clock because of it, um, which when you're in the D.C. area or the New York area is quite likely several days of the week. <laughs> <laughs> and those were folks that were already had a, you know, a 45 minute commute on a Saturday evening is a two and a half hour commute on a Monday morning. Um, so I'm sure they'd be more than happy to spend some time with their families or do something that makes them feel good and then start work at seven thirty, eight o'clock in the morning. And I think what you've seen trend wise, um, is employees tend to actually work more hours working remote, even though they may have that flexibility to go run a kid to a doctor's appointment mm -hmm. or, um, you know, go and do, uh, whatever go to a kid's you know little dance recital in the middle of the day at school whatever right yeah that okay you might take an early lunch break to do something like that you count that as your break during the day versus going to the water cooler as we jokingly say yeah. right but they're to your point they're not commuting so they're starting their day probably a half hour to an hour earlier they're probably ending it an hour to a half an hour earlier and they're probably taking a shorter lunch break in between yeah, because and I'd be willing gonna... to bet they're not only during that lunch break, unless they're actually running an errand, they've still got an eye on what's going on on work with work. And I'd be willing to bet that many of those people, if they, you know, if they drop off, uh, you know, a little early, they're also the ones that are getting caught up on email or something else at eight o'clock at night. You know, after maybe the little ones go to bed, they're sitting there Precisely. watching a ball game or a show and catching yeah. up on a couple of things. There's it's... definite benefits. Yeah, there, it's it's not like the day where, you know, where you just went into the office early and you stayed till midnight and you never saw your family. You know, those days are kind of disappearing, right? Yeah. I, you know, the whole madman concept, right, where you, <laughs> you lived at the office and you basically had your bourbon in the corner because you knew you weren't having a drink otherwise, right? Exactly. You weren't, you weren't doing anything other than, than working. But nowadays it's like, you know what? we can squeeze life in and around it, but there are downtimes and, and it varies from household to household. You yeah. know, I know I have children and you do too. And you know, there are times where like dinner time's a good time where you spend some time with your family and you, you know, once the kids are, you know, going to bed or, or doing their homework in the evening, you have some time to catch up on things. And, you know, I think most people go to bed at a relative hour. You know, some people are more later than others, but you know, let's just say the the eleven o'clock, eleven thirty time frame. Yeah. You, I mean, you can still get work done, and and you don't feel like you're just being completely oppressed with your job, right? You're yeah. You, you have that flexibility. You have a better quality of life because you're not spending all that windshield time. To your point, in the the anger and the frustration comes of sitting in traffic and yes. or being stuck on a train that breaks down. I mean, if you're a commuter and things like that. So yeah. it's the truth. But there's one thing that really, I think, has allowed that to happen. And some people were already on this path and others have rushed to it over that. And that's the location of that data. Mm -hmm. It's not locked away behind corporate firewalls anymore. Um, that obviously that trend had started well before this, but boy, was it accelerated for a lot of people. Um, just looking at the adoption of things like, you know, 
Microsoft Teams or a, a WebEx or Zoom, which aren't as collaborative as, you know, maybe like a Teams is kind of more all in one. I know WebEx has their tools as well. I don't want to upset anybody and get nasty grams from folks saying WebEx does that too. I know. Um, but the, you know, these tools are, are suddenly being adopted, like just thrown out there quickly. Um, and you hope that there's some thought has been going into it, but there's a lot of data that resides in those tools now. And, you know, but you want to give everybody the full use of it, but, uh, you know, IT, the company still needs to keep control of that data. But now you've thrown it all out the door because you had to. You remember we were two weeks we were supposed to, uh, we were supposed to do um, the uh, two weeks at home on the quarantine. Yeah. And then be back at it. Uh, so if we had gone with that theory, most of us wouldn't have even brought a computer home from the office, but thank right. goodness everybody planned a little better. And I do remember when it first started, you're saying, you know, for folks that didn't have a laptop, you couldn't buy a laptop or a tablet anywhere That's for right. the, like, the first three months. Cause everybody had to buy them cause now everybody needed something, but yeah. it's all about where that data lives is really what it comes down to. And you've seen that quick shift, but have all considerations been taken for what it means to move that data. Well, and, and, and you make a great point that, you know, the, now what you find is a lot of organizations, you know, some of the general productivity probably has moved greatly to the cloud. We, we've seen that with the advent of Teams, OneDrive, what have you. But there's still a lot of blind business systems out there that are frankly still behind the four walls because, as we all know, line of business systems tend to be the last things to be modernized or upgraded own apps expensive, i mean if i could yeah if I, if I could if i could have a nickel for every like line of business system that's still based on access or fox pro or or, <laughs> or crystal reports uh yes. you know i could probably retire in the next week or so yes. but um but it gets into that and I, I but now this has really been an impetus for those organizations to say wow we can really capitalize on hosting this and make reoccurring revenue because what was the other thing line of business systems were famous for? Nobody upgraded them, right? Mm -hmm. So there, you, you'd buy it once, you spend a bazillion dollars for some really customized tool, and then you might pay a support contract just to have some peace of mind, I guess. But aside from that, you're running on outmoded equipment or outmoded versions of software or servers. Yeah, still reliant on Windows XP or Server 2003 or 2008. Precisely, or an older version of SQL. Yeah. 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 And the world can't move on without it. Right. So, and, and that gets into an interesting proposition of not only where do these vendors go, you know, you have your choices, you have Google and AWS and Microsoft Azure and things like that. And, and perhaps they even decide to do their own private hosting, call it a private cloud, and uh, and and do it that way, and just have better management of it. But you know that that's still where I would still say the jury's a little bit out. Um, but I think everyone at least sees the need now and sees where the next monetization will happen in that regard. Because if everything else is in the cloud, it makes not a whole lot of sense. Uh, for a lot of these line of business systems to follow suit. There are, again, getting into manufacturing some of those things where or you something with real-time sensors and IoT. There may be a little bit more on-premise that will always exist because of that for, for real-time access. But Yeah, unless you're a truly born-in-the-cloud type yeah. of company, which means that you're brand new, you don't have any legacy anything, Right. There's always something, and and it's it's cause of that, and you've probably seen this too. That it's kind of a it's been a phased approach for people 
to move things. They basically are doing the, the lift and shift of their virtual machine. First off, they probably moved from, phys if they're still in physical machines, they've tried virtualizing. So at least they're not reliant on that ancient hardware you were talking about. Correct. Then they're trying to take those virtual machines and just take them as is and put them in the cloud. And I think that a lot of people get scared right away because what they see is that's expensive. Yeah. To run yeah. probably over-provisioned hardware in the cloud where the meter is running 24 seven gets expensive in a hurry. Right. But it's expensive to redevelop an app too. So, but that's what's exactly. got to be done. You have to you have to modernize your application. Um, but if you don't, eventually things are going to pass you by. That old monolithic app is going to die at some point, and you need to be ready for it. That's right, absolutely. And I couldn't agree with you more because, you know, to your point, I, you know, this whole concept when people moved from physical to virtualized hardware a number of years ago, the whole concept was, wow, we could really get that density, right? We could even oversubscribe because we know that nobody's thrashing a CPU at 100% all the time, right? right? You know, it might come to a little bit of a halt <laughs> at the yeah. end of the month when you're running some reports and things like that. But other than that, things ran pretty smoothly. We'll, we'll, we'll admit to that. But when you change that to the cloud, you're absolutely right in the sense that uh, you're paying for what you're using or not using. It's not like... You know, you made the capital investment and, and, and that's a depreciation, things of that nature. But within the cloud, being an operating cost, you're just paying it. And yeah. whether you, it, where that process is at zero or 99 percent, you're paying. Precisely. For whole, yeah, precisely. And, and and that's where you absolutely hit the nail on the head with the whole application aspect of it. It's getting away from assuming this monolithic, this this very fixed or static or occasionally upgraded type of hardware print, you know, be it number of CPUs, amount of RAM, amount of disk, and really move into that flexible, scalable up and down. So when you're not using it, you can recoup some of that operating expense back and then ramp it right back up as soon as that process kicks back up. So, yeah. but that it's an, it's an undertaking of, of the application, no doubt, but, um, but it's, but it's there, it's here now to, to do it. It's just, you know, having that savviness to, to start looking at going more to a platform as a service, as opposed to just a, an infrastructure as a service and laying that app in the cloud. So, so what are you seeing today? Like I, I, I look and I kind of think, all right, getting email out the door. Yeah. And into a cloud service, your choice, you know, obviously there's, there's multiple out there, some more popular than others, but yeah, you know, email seems to be the most common choice. Do you feel like darn near everybody's there at this point? Or do you still see people <laughs> that you're like, why are you not there? Uh, you would be surprised the amount if I had a, I, I really wished if I got a hundred dollars for every exchange 2010 environment I've recently come across that's still out there, given what we know has happened recently in the news. Um, again, if I could just get a flash hundred dollars for everyone that's still on it, I, I could retire probably next week. It really is. It, it is amazing to me when you think how critical email systems are to just about every walk of business out there, the fact that people are running email platforms that are more than a decade old and feel like that's sufficient, it just boggles the mind. And call for what it is. Most people have had some sort of a cloud email account 
forever for their personal, right? Be it a Gmail, Hotmail, Yahoo. Yeah. I, I, I don't, that is I don't a know many people that run their own server at home. I mean, yes, we're in a little different industry, but probably we do know people that run their own email servers. Most don't or haven't no. for years. No, no. And I, I would say it's been a solid decade since I've known people that run their own email servers for their personal email. They, they've hosted it or uh, they use pure public cloud at this point. And so to that point, it's like, if it's good for your person and your family and your friends, why isn't it good for the business when you're, it'd be one thing if you're on exchange 2019 and you making the argument fine, but clearly as an organization, they cannot keep things up to date. So why do you want to stay on something that you can't maintain when we know it it changes not even daily, but hourly as far as security is concerned? Yeah, the risks that just keep multiplying to, for older systems, especially. Heck, I mean, there's, you yeah. know, newer systems are at risk. Older systems are just, yeah. you know, terrifying to think. And it's funny, you know, you say Exchange 2010. I'm like, oh, that's not old, that old. And then I think about what year it is. And you say a decade. I'm like, holy smokes, time flies because it doesn't it doesn't feel like that's that old. But it really is. It's multiple it, versions behind. It, it's Is it still even in support? No, it is not. I didn't not. think it, so. It's 12 years old because technically it came out in 2009 and we're in yeah. 2012. So... <laughs> Came in the tail end, so it's not quite twelve years, but that's crazy. Yeah, it's it's been a long time, and and just just the supportability of it. I I mean, again, chances are too, it's not even on an operating system that is well supported either, because you're not laying Exchange twenty ten on a twenty sixteen or twenty nineteen Windows. No, shame server. on you if you're building a fresh server and then putting old software on top of it. Or precisely. Um, so. Yeah. So, I, and that's, I mean, that's kind of what I've seen. It's like you, you want to pull those other, those stragglers, but for those that have moved, what do you see them doing as their next steps? It's like, okay, I've got email here. Yeah. What are you seeing them do out there? So, I, I would say it's an even split across the board. And, and what do I mean by that? I, email is still out there, and it's still happening. So, don't don't think that it's not. Although there's, I would say, a fair amount of people that are, have moved or in the process of. Uh, the next big one really is files. And when I say files, it could be a mixture of OneDrive for business. It could be they just want to get rid of their old user file share and move that to OneDrive because people are all over the place and just using their own drive space. Yeah. But really that that drag along now is getting more into things like Teams, right? Where yep. getting away from these department level file shares, putting things into Teams, making it more collaborative, not making it. The good thing about OneDrive for Business is you can share things out when you need to. The bad thing about OneDrive for Business is you can share things out, <laughs> yeah. right? It, it, because that was the one control user file shares had was you're not just freely disposing your information to whomever you'd like. Yeah. Um, I understand why that is, and 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 there are its useful purposes. I won't I won't take that away, but. But I know people have used OneDrive for business almost like an extended department file share. And I'm like, guys, you got to stop. You, the amount of overhead you're putting on yourself to sharing out folders and files on OneDrive yeah. versus putting in a team and just moving all your files there is insane, literally. Congrats. You have a side job as a server admin now, basically. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. Keeping, so, you know, keeping permissions and making sure people have access. Yeah, and it's one thing to share. And we do, that's how we do it. You know, here at Beam, it's like I'll share if I we can't share anything outside that security shut off, which is probably for the best, even though it's frustrating sometimes because you want to share something real quick and you just can't. But whatever, security is security, and uh, 
you know, but it is nice to be able to do that. But at the same rate, as soon as I'm sharing the next file with somebody, if I feel like there's a trend, it's like, let's build a channel for this mm -hmm. and really do it. So now we've got data that we're not maintaining anywhere else, you know? So even if I'm backing up, like at least if I back up my laptop, there's a copy of my, well, there's not even truly a copy of my OneDrive on my laptop anymore because so many things are set to uh, download on demand. Right. So you're not filling up your, your drive locally. That's so right. you can't even assume that you're getting that backed up if you're backing up the laptop. That's correct. And, 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 you know, that goes back to the whole cloud model, which is it's customers, I think, have this presumption that the cloud is, oh, Microsoft's got it all backed up or Google or whomever. <laughs> and, and the funnier part is, is we, we say, no, that's a shared responsibility. They're responsible for the high availability of the platform. In other words, if I went from a company, let's, let's, you know, you have your Coca-Cola's of the world, hundreds of thousands of employees. They got data centers across the planet. They have all kinds of high availability, redundancy, servers in multiple locations. You know, if a mailbox fails on one spot, it could pick up on another. Most small organizations never had that flexibility. Their server goes down, they're just done, right? right. They're, they're out until it comes back up or Worse yet, they have to rebuild somewhere else. Or they never get back. I mean, or, that's, or, that's a common statistic that's quoted all the time. It's the number of businesses that fail after a catastrophe like that. Precisely. So so what Microsoft and Google and all of them are giving you is, hey, look, you, we, you can sustain a, a quote unquote server hit and not worry about being down. But your data is still your data. You're still responsible for, oh, not the, oh, I just deleted some, I need to go retrieve that within 30 days. That's fine. It's, oh my God, Joe deleted something six months ago and I need to go retrieve something from six months ago. That's your responsibility as an organization. And you have to define what is your retention and backup strategies and what, you know, do you even, maybe you have a corporate policy. You know what? You deleted something, that's on you. But uh, you know, but I would imagine a lot of regulated industries might have something to say about that. So <laughs> yes, um, it, well, it goes back to you that. see that for sure. Yeah, and you're right. You absolutely see that, and you see, you know, the other example that I always like to use is not so much that I'm looking for a file from six months ago, but your example, you know, not Joe deleted this file six months ago. Joe was let go six months ago, and the way that these cloud services are is like if you're not licensed, you've got a countdown timer that your data is going to be auto deleted, and it's gone, right. gone after right. that happens. Um, so you need a way to make sure that that data is there. If you had, like you said, if you have a retention policy, you better make sure that you have a copy of that data. Just saying, oh, we forgot to back it up or oh, we don't back that up matters. You can't, I don't think you can get away anymore with just saying we don't back up user shares, which is yeah. essentially what's saying not backing up OneDrive. Because quite frankly, every, every document that I work on is in my OneDrive now. Mm -hmm. uh, for better or for worse. I don't connect to corporate shares. I don't even know if we have them. I wouldn't know what to do with them if we did. I don't sit in an office. Yeah. Um, I don't connect to a VPN. There's there's nothing I need to connect to a VPN to do anymore. So you have that, you know, you have the data all on that OneDrive. What would happen if I left? There's probably something that for somebody who would take over my role that might be interesting to them. A lot of that, though, is also shifting to Teams because we work in pods here. And so something that I create is, you know, for one pod is going to be interesting. I work in three different pods from the role I'm in. So something that I work with in pod A is going to be interesting to pod B and C. So it might be nice to put a copy out there for them to see too. Or, you, you know, someone needs to refer back. You had that really great slide you did a couple months ago. Yeah. Where is it? Well, it's somewhere out in Teams. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that gets into an interesting point you bring about Teams. Like, I think people have this concept from just, 
drudging all the way back to the NDS days, right? Gonna mm. date myself once again. <laughs> but this whole concept of an H drive or an I drive or whatever, right? Yeah. So everybody goes, go to the I drive. And I'm like, well, that's great. But all I drive is a mapping to a bunch of folders at the root level and then careen through the whole hierarchy yeah. beyond that, right? Just Where, a hodgepodge, yeah. Right. And what I, I explain to people is this is an opportunity to restructure how you use data when you talk about things like Slack and Teams and in the, these collaborative tools in the sense that you don't have this one quote unquote iDrive. You now have, if you want to, if you want to make it most simplistic, you could say all those folders at the root level of the iDrive are now your teams. Chances are that's probably not a very accurate statement. What you probably need to consider is the following. My departments each have their own team for department level things. Mm -hmm. And and that's internal. That could also be best, you know, practice levels, things like that, right? Pods for general information, things like that. When you talk about things like customers or uh, anything external to your organization, then you have to really think deep about how do we want to structure it? Do we want each of our customers to be a team? Because if you think about like what I do, I do a lot of consulting. They have multiple projects. So, you know, customers, the customer, they don't really change, but they might have a network security project. They might have a, you know, a, a migration project. They might yeah. have, you it's know, a different a team for everyone. Yeah. And they're different teams, but it's all the same customer. And in our business anyways, there's not that necessary restriction. But if you really do need to have something like the penetration penetration testing group will have their own team for their group. Now, all their tools are specific to them. I don't need to see that. I don't need access to that. But the result stocks may be interesting to right. other parts, the other people that work within that team. But that's based on the customer, not based on just right. the penetration exactly. Exactly. testing group. Right. Yeah. And, 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 that's, and that's how I, you know, when I talk to my customers and the other thing that all this really forces, and I hate to say it, a lot of companies don't have a lot of great process, right? <laughs> when it goes down from, and, and I think the cloud kind of forces that, right? Because to your point, you have that running countdown when you disable an account till you lose everything. So what is the process from when an employee either leaves willfully or unwillfully from an organization? You know, what do you do with their OneDrive? Yeah, you know, who's responsible for that? Do you just shift everything to a, you know, to their manager, to a folder? You know, what, so... And it doesn't have to be like, which is great till the manager in. leaves. Now nobody can find anything because it's now three generations away from where it started. Right. Or, or you build a common area where you're saying, look, you know, you have a, you know, maybe it's a SharePoint site for terminated employees and each folder represents a terminated employee and you move the files there. Right. It yeah. still goes against the same quota as a team, but you know, it's, it's, it's not as, shielded is like a OneDrive yeah. quota, but at least it gives you a way to go get that information down the road and you can restrict access to the site, to hiring managers and, and whoever you need to within the organization. But you know, what's even better back it up. You already said that there's no backups out there. So, I mean, yeah. you know, Hey, I, I work for Veeam. So we sell these cool products, you know? Yeah. And uh, so it's, uh, you know, there's no reason you shouldn't be. So when an employee leaves, it's like, okay, we got the last backup of them before they were deleted. Perfect. Yeah, now we have deleted. that for whatever our retention period is. If the account gets deleted. You don't care. You have the data. 
Because the business is all about the data. I mean, quite frankly, what's the number one thing I think we make in this country anymore? I think it's it's data. data. Sure, absolutely. (laughs) We We don't, most places don't make things. I mean, yeah, I don't think anybody's held a box of software with, you know, even still, if you're holding the CD, it's pretty useless unless you have something that can read the ones and zeros. We're making ones and zeros all day. Yeah. So, you know, you need a way to make sure that that's protected. And and somebody uh, that I work with, I, I wish I could remember who so I could credit them, but they said a simple phrase. Uh, if it was important enough for you to back up when you had it on-prem and you were running that Exchange 2010 server, it's why is it not important enough to back it up? just because you have it on somebody else's server, which, you know, the old joke is that that's all the cloud is. There is no cloud. It's just someone else's server. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The the cloud's a nice marketing name, but really what you want to call it is direct vendor hosted. Yeah. Environments, right? Not as sexy. Yeah. But (laughs) it isn't. And and, then that's, that's the thing, right? And, you know, and, and when you start talking and probably where the word cloud came from was when someone goes, well, that sounds pretty nebulous. Well, yeah, it is. Yes. It's the cloud, right? <laughs> yes. So now you are in the cloud. It's nebulous. Yeah. Um, but you're exactly right. And in fact, I would make the argument if you don't have control over it, that's even more of a reason to make sure it's backed up because mm-hmm. if you need it and you don't have direct access to it, and at least the, the backup is something you have access to, then by all means, you know, you can yeah. you can do that. And there's, you know, there's, you know, like I said, there's so many options out there now and you know, and, and just putting the Microsoft cap on, you know, when you talk about Microsoft, data really exists only in two places, if you think about it, right? I mean, you can argue, well, OneDrive is different from SharePoint and Teams and all, but it is all SharePoint online storage. It exactly. all is a site collection. The only thing that differs from that is email, which is yeah. Exchange Online. Yep. So you have email and you have data in SharePoint online and it's three various means, be it OneDrive, SharePoint, or Teams. So, okay, that's just the where, where it's stored. Where it gets a little more interesting when we talk about teams is is things like chat history and some of those things for compliance yes. reasons because that's stored part of the mailbox. There's some there's some back and forth there, but aside from that complication, it, it's it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. So so we've been looking at you know how things have changed over the last 15 months. So we're getting to a point now, thank goodness, where things are starting to open up a little bit, and you know people are going to start to have a choice: get out on, either on the road or collaborate in that office. And and like we were saying before, it's probably going to be smaller. I mean, what do you think that's going to look like? I mean, personally, I feel like it's going to be, like you said, the smaller footprint. And I think in many cases, it's going to be maybe you have the teams get together in person once a month, maybe. But I, I will say, yeah. as much as I got used to being at home, stuck in the basement here, and uh, do, you know, getting my work done, still collaborating with everybody, I went to lunch the other day with a few people who live locally, and I didn't realize how badly I needed to do that until I was doing it. Um, nice. So that you still need that human interaction Absolutely. at some point. So I, how do you think people are going to do it? Wow. You know, I, I think it, you know, I don't want to be coy at all in this response, but it really is individually dependent. Right. And and what do I mean by that? It's going to predicate on a couple of factors. Number one, what their home situation is. Right. You know, they have kids that are still at home, you know, where it's disruptive to them to get their work done. Do they have the proper office space in their home to, to really adequately work from home? I, I think there's been a lot of makeshifting over the last 15 or so months. But, you know, I, I will say this. There are people that are just going to want to go in the office. They like that 
I like to go to work, right? It's yes. like I when we were kids, we like to go to school, right? Yeah. Um, well, but yeah. <laughs> and then, then there are some of us, and I'm, I'm yeah. more in this bucket where I don't need to go into an office. I'm comfortable enough being on a video or an audio chat like this. Um, I feel like I have enough interaction with human beings. I still have interaction with my family and, and closest friends. yes, I will still have meetings. I still go see customers. Absolutely. But it's on an as needed basis because frankly, you know, I feel like when I have to make a visit somewhere, I'm causing more delay on their end to getting other work done because they're waiting for me to come, Mm -hmm. let me in, you know, we're having our meetings. They're not, they're where it's good, where they're focused on me. It's bad too, because they can't get anything else done. Right. Yeah. Uh, whereas I think a lot of us have learned how to time splice a little bit better in the last 15 months. Yeah. Um, but I, I will say my guess is, and, and I'm throwing out a percentage prediction here, somewhere between the 30 and 50% will go back to the way it was. The rest of us will have changed probably at least 50 or 60, 40, you know, 50, 50, 60, 40. Um, and then the rest will be like, if I see you a couple times a month, that's enough for me. Um, <laughs> and, and I just, again, it all predicates back on that fact of what's their home situation, you know, what kind of home internet, yeah. you know, I, I, I live more or less a lot of times, you know, I have kids, but they're older, you know, I, I'm pretty much by myself except for today. I got construction guys, but <laughs> you know, but aside from that, I'm, I'm pretty much the only person here to disrupt me is myself. Right. So, so for me, being in an office is only really to have that human interaction or what I need or require an in-person. Yeah. But a lot of it with all the whiteboarding and, you know, I use like surface devices where I can mm-hmm. sketch things on screen. I really don't feel like I miss as much of that as I used to, where I would be like, wow, you know, I really like going out in person. Yeah. I still like it, but it, it's not, to your point, the commute part was way worse for me. So, you know, um, so for me, I feel like I'm more valuable when I'm talking in front of people and whether it's in person or or remote, it really doesn't matter to me. I mean, maybe others have more of a personal opinion on that, but I personally feel like I get more done. And, and I've been working remotely for quite a number of years, other than when I've gone into customer sites go to the Microsoft MTCs around the, the world, you know, and present there where, where it's like a huddle of group of customers. Yeah. Yeah, outside of that and the occasional meeting been pretty much work from home since early to mid two thousands, to be honest. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat and it's, uh, you know, and I, I see the same thing. It's interesting as you're talking about it. You know, I, I, <laughs> I have most of the time when I was on the road in the before times, um, it would be, you know, to go sit and, and present or teach, you know, a dozen, 15 or more people in a large conference room. Mm-hmm. A, I don't know if anybody's ever going to congregate in a room like that again. And B, mm-hmm. I don't know how many people are going to be interested. You know, are those, are those Monday morning sales meetings going to happen where everybody comes in the office once a week? Or are they going to keep them virtual because now they're used to it and realize they can get more done in a day because they don't have to drive to the office and then go out to the meetings? Exactly. Um, which is going to be interesting for me because then something that I used to do as an opportunity to get a face-to-face is now going to be virtual. 
And then my travel time will be for probably like events. You know, I was joking with somebody that in order to see all the folks I need to see, because nobody's in the office, I'm going to have to have, you know, three breakfasts, four cups of coffee, two lunches, a couple happy hours and two dinners a day mm-hmm. to see everybody because you're not going to get the group together um so we're trying to you know we're trying to figure out what that's going to look like too to get out and see because you know we do want to see our partners we want to get out there and talk to you folks sure. yeah and I, and I would say there's going to be a little ebb and flow right there'll probably be times where you're more doing it and there'll be times where you're less doing it, depending on where the work is shifting and and, and the focus with with you know in your in your capacity in, in, in pre-sales and in working with partners and all that. And me in working with customers more or less directly as well as partners. Um, I will say there's one plus and I have a son who's fairly introverted and I will say introverts have really blossomed under this pandemic, which is Thriving. kind of <laughs> ironic to say those words in the same sentence, but what they have felt <clears throat> and he, he was entirely remote this whole year and half of last year, as it turns out, he completely, I mean, four AP classes, honors everything else, took his SATs. He was a junior in high school. I mean, he, he made distinguished honor roll, you know, knocked out like a 1300 as SATs, took four AP exams, and we're still waiting for your results, but feels pretty comfortable on at least most of them. So I, I don't know if he could have done that if he had to get on a school bus every day, come home been and all this other stuff and he was still involved i mean he's a boy scout he's going for his eagle scout i mean he's clearly an active child but i don't know maybe introverted but he's not isolated by any stretch from the sounds right and and he's a gamer so he's he's on discord with his buddies so so yeah he's got his friends yeah he has that interaction but it's it's just he feels more comfortable in his own skin, not necessarily being in a crowd saying so yeah. like for him going to a restaurant is way more anxiety ridden for him than it is for say me. Cause I don't, yeah. I don't care. I'm not afraid of people. I've been yeah. doing this a long time and I'm more extroverted, but, but the, you know, and, and it's interesting because I feel like for a long time, introverts frankly have not had a good voice at the table. They've always been the people behind the scenes, you know, mm-hmm good workers but they're not the ones you see and now they kind of have a voice which is yeah which is interesting so uh, you know like i said that 30 to 50 percent yeah and i hope that continues and those are the folks you know and that's that's my thing too if i'm sitting at a desk here it's because i need to focus and study on something i can happily be on a call but i need you know when it's time to sit at a desk and actually get some work done yeah. having somebody come up and tap at me on the shoulder every 15 minutes is not conducive to getting done what I need done. You end up leaving for the day going, well, now I got to do everything I planned on doing today, tonight. Right. Right. And then, and I'll be honest. I mean, the one reason I couldn't stand going back to an office is just, just overall office disruption. I mean, you're sitting in your cube trying to concentrate and just people around you are having either idle conversations or there's antics going on and, and, and you get, either annoyed or you feel like you can't concentrate yeah. and what do you have the time to do at that point? You'd probably get up, pack your stuff up and say, I'm going to go work the rest of the day from home anyway. So it's yeah. like, at that point you just wasted basically whatever hours of windshield time to basically just yep. turn around and do what you probably would have done anyway. So, yeah. So, so the answer is we don't really know what we're going to see yet, but I think it's going yeah. to be a blend. Like you said, I don't think it's ever going to be like it used to be. And I don't think it's, you know, the, the pendulum has shifted significantly. It's going to come back toward the middle. Right. Um, I, I'm excited to see what it is because I'm excited to get out there and see what's going on. You know, we're starting to, to get out there and get some some partner events going. But, uh, 
You know, it's all it's all touch and go right now. Uh, Vegas is going to be a party no matter what. So uh, <sighs> I, mean, yeah, I was no, in Nashville I, a couple months ago, and yeah, it was uh, COVID was over as far as they were concerned. I will say quite a few masks I saw, but people weren't afraid to hang out in a bar. That was for sure. I, I will say I'm I'm down in Florida right now. I have a, a home. I'm in transition. And I always say Florida, COVID, what? You know, because like down here, I don't think COVID was ever something that they really focused. To your point, yeah. people wore masks that work in places, but. It was hit and miss for everybody else. But, but yeah. there, there's there's a difference, even though Florida is a fairly populous state, we'll admit. There is one huge difference here. And I will say this is probably where we'll figure out things going forward with this whole pandemic. A lot more open air. And yes. I think open air, even though you would think, oh, well, that carries the virus. I think in some ways it's like it's like it deadens it, too, because, you know, when it hits air, there's other molecules in the air and it kind of. But you're right. There's open air areas, you know, had it much better than folks like, you know, and I'm up in the, the Philadelphia area and, you yeah. know, recirculated air systems when it's cold out and when it's hot out. Yeah. Um, like you, you had said to me once before that even when you're, you go to a restaurant or bar, the windows and doors are open and the AC's on. So you're right. getting fresh air and you're getting the AC. So you're getting the best of both worlds and you're getting better air recirculated through, not worried about filtration, let nature be the filter. And I feel like ultimately maybe that's an, a future opportunity is HVA systems can HVAC systems get totally renovated and overhauled and more filtration and ionization and UV light filterings and things like that, that just make it. I mean, we all know that cruise ships are notoriously have awful ventilation systems. Yes. And like, I, I couldn't even imagine before all this. Yeah. Right. Legionnaire's disease was the first crack at it. And it's been bad ever since. And, and I, I would say like anyone that wants to go on a cruise, just be spend as much time on the deck as you can, because yeah, I just, I would be very leery of that for the next couple of years. I would yeah. Say. But, I don't want to say too much. We have some good partners that do that, but it, it, you know, that are customers that, that are in the uh, yeah cruise it's, industry, but it's a hard, and I feel it's a hard thing to say. Yeah. Absolutely. But it's Look. the truth. I mean, it's something where, uh, you know, it's going, that's going to come back slowly. I think, I know people want to do stuff. I mean, even now, I think just even around me, people are looking to do things outdoors. The problem yeah. is it's suddenly going and you're in Florida, so it's already hot, but it's getting hot here. So yep. then things are going to shift back to indoors. Um, hopefully, you know, we keep seeing the numbers drop and everything can get back to more normal. Go enjoy, a, you know, meeting with your friends at the at the restaurant or bar for the evening. It's kind of funny. A hundred years ago, uh, people didn't have air conditioning like they do today. Very true. And it was still hot in Florida back then. It was still hot in Philadelphia in July then. Yes, it was. Uh, so you turn it uh, off and open the windows for a little bit. And back then, I think people wore suits to like b baseball games. They don't yeah. even do that anymore. So the players wore wool. So <laughs> so and nobody dropped dead of heat exhaustion, to my recollection. Uh, not but, not not in numbers enough to be put in history books, I guess. So no, no. no. Well, Andrew, I'm so glad you could join me today. This That's has been great. terrific. I mean, I've really enjoyed just catching up with you on on what you're seeing out there, and you know, said so my idea was to just help maybe get some people some ideas of what they should be looking for as, you know, what's going on, you know, get some conversations going around what's happening as people start to, you know, what have they seen as changes and what's going on? So uh, I appreciate you taking the time to spend the time with me. Absolutely. It's been great. And we'll catch up soon and let's do it in person. I'm all for it, man. Next time you're in the area, you let me know. 
This has been Veeam Partner Perspectives with Eric Doherty. Thank you for listening.